and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Hal Hudson, and I'm the student pastor here at Bent Tree Church. I'm excited uh, to be continuing in our... Uh, sorry, i got to get all my notes all... Back in order since I drew up them there. Uh, I'm excited to be bringing uh, us, you guys, are continuing on our sermon in generational faith. If you're new to Bentry, you've been here a while and you haven't noticed, we have four core values here at Bentry. We have biblical truth, extravagant worship, generational faith, and relational discipleship. And with those, four, and with those core values, we feel specifically, and I mean, we spend time and we'll preach and we've gone off and done many series on each and every single one of those values, but we want to focus in on generational faith. And recently here at Bentry over the last couple months and weeks, we've been, it's been heavy on our hearts as church leadership and uh, to be moving our church and our, specifically our generation, generation's ministry to uh, be more where we are truly equipping parents to be the primary disciplers in their kid's life. And last week, and we've, uh, we're in the middle of this mini-series, and two weeks ago we had Pastor Frank come and he preached out of Philippians 1. And the grace that was made available to each and every single one of us uh, is the same grace that applies to us today. And that same grace is what applies to uh, the younger generation, your kids, uh, grandkids, and every young person that still needs to come to know Christ, that grace is the same grace that applies to you and applies to us every single day of our lives. And then last week we had Dr. Jonathan Williams. He came and he preached out of Psalm 78 and he preached on passing the baton of faith to the next generation. What does it look like to pass that on and uh, mold into the younger generation's heart uh, to have a faith that is set on the Lord? And what does that look like? And we've been looking at that. And today I'm bringing us, uh, and we're going through Titus 2. And what does that look like for us as a church to come alongside families and encourage them and help build them up, especially in their, and them as they disciple their kids to know and love the Lord. So this morning, as we're, as we're getting into the sermon, I want to paint a picture for all of you guys. Uh, and it's really posed around a question. Okay, but let me go ahead and paint this scenario out for you guys, and I want you to think with me, and then uh, think about the question that I'm going to pose at the end. Okay, if we had a mom and a dad and their three kids, okay, and they came to church, and they were here every single Sunday morning, they sit on the second row, and then they have their kids here every single Wednesday night, and they're here on Sunday nights, and they are here as a family every single, every single day that the church is open for the church family to come and gather together. And then all of a sudden, this family that looks good from the outside, and you, when you look at them like, oh, this is a great family, they love the Lord. But then all of a sudden, dad up and leaves. He leaves his family. And now mom is here with her three kids, and she doesn't know what to do. They have emotional, physical, and spiritual needs that are very, need to be met. How would we as a church respond? Would we as a church come alongside them and help mom and these kids and help encourage her and help come alongside the kids and encourage them in their walk with the Lord and in whatever they're going through in uh, their lives? Or would we turn a cold shoulder? 
and tell the mom and say, you know, your, your giving's been down a little bit. Or divorce isn't biblical. So we aren't going to support you guys in this situation where we don't support what's going on. And you guys weren't here all the time. You were here most of the time, but not every single time. We're going to turn our backs on you and leave you out in the cold. How would Benchu respond? Would we come alongside this mom and her kids and push them and encourage them in their walk with the Lord? Or would we let them figure it out by themselves? I want you to be thinking about that. And in scripture, we see that family structure and having a mom and a dad and their kids isn't always the case. That's God's ideal plan for marriage, but that's not always the case. We have broken marriages, we have single parents, and we have many different instances, and often our family circumstances are less than ideal. And scripture even speaks about that. So I'm going to go ahead and point out some places in scripture that we see different family structures and different family dynamics. We see single parents with children with Hagar and Ishmael in Genesis 16, and then the widow Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. And then we see single parents with adopted children like Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, raising up Moses in Exodus 2. We see blended families like Jacob and his wives and then their children in Genesis 29 and David and his wives and their children in 2 Samuel 3. Grandparents or family relatives raising children such as Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat and Joash in 2 Kings. Childish couples such as Abraham and Sarah and Zacharias and Elizabeth. Guardianship with Eli raising up Samuel in the temple in 1 Samuel 1. And then Joseph raising up Jesus. God's word strikes a deliberate balance between upholding the value of God's best plan for marriage and family and addressing the reality of less than ideal circumstances. Let's go ahead and pray. To you, Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that they won't hear me up here talking to them, but they'll um, instead hear you speaking to them and whatever you're calling each and every single one of the members here today, Lord, that you will soften their hearts and open them to your word Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In Scripture, we see that we are called as a church to train and raise up other believers in what it looks like to live a life of holiness and a life where your heart is set on God. Our passage today, as was read by our shepherding elder, Ed, was Titus 2, 1 through 10. In the book of Titus is what's known as the pastor is one of the pastoral epistles. And simply what pastoral epistle means is it's instruction to the church and how the church should function. And in Titus 1, just to catch you up to speed, there's instruction for the church. And really the qualification for elders. What's the qualification for our elders and where our pastoral team comes from is coming straight from from Titus and other parts in scripture that speaks on church structure, and the qualifications for elders. But then what we're looking at today is Titus 2, and this passage is speaking specifically not just to the elders, not just to the church leadership, but to the church members, to everyone in the church. And what Titus 2 and what I'm trying to show you guys and walk you through today is that it takes a church to make a disciple. 
It takes a church to make a disciple. And when every member is equipped to minister to, with, and through families, God will bring transformation to the church and the home. So as we jump into our text and we jump into Titus 2, we're going to walk through and see what it looks like and how we as the church need to come alongside the family to help grow and make disciples. Okay, Titus 2.1 reads, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And what this verse is telling us is that we need to establish that scripture must be our foundation in all aspects of our life. We, first, we need scripture to be our foundation in all aspects of our life. And in order to do this, we first need to, in our own lives, be able to make it so we have scripture as a foundation in our own life. Before you can teach someone, before you can help someone come to an understanding of something, or if you're trying to teach someone math, you want someone who knows how to do the math themselves. So in our own lives, before we can teach others what it looks like to live a life with sound doctrine or where the scripture is our foundation in all aspects of our life, we need scripture to be the foundation in our own life. And then the second thing is we are called to teach. Titus 2.1 uses the word teach. And teach there in the Greek language is actually uh, an imperative. And it's a command. So this isn't just a suggestion. It's not like, hey, you probably should be teaching others what it looks like to live a life with sound doctrine. But we're commanded. You must teach others what it looks like to live a life where scripture is your foundation. And what we mean by that is in scripture being our foundation, we're meaning that scripture is sufficient. That in all aspects of our life, scripture is sufficient. So if we're struggling in our marriage or we're struggling to obey our parents or we're struggling to obey our teachers at school or we're struggling with our boss or whatever we're struggling with, whatever big philosophical questions you're coming up with in your mind or you're facing within your life, scripture is sufficient to answer those difficult and hard questions. Scripture is instruction and should be where we go for anything that we are struggling with. We shouldn't be having to go to other different things, other different avenues for answers, but scripture is sufficient for us. And scripture being sufficient is we want us to take every aspect of our lives and we should be putting that next to scripture and seeing does the way I live my life Monday to Saturday really stand next to scripture? Is me living this different life, this kind of second life at school where I'm swearing and doing all these other things at school and no one at home or at church knows that I live this double life? Or maybe you live that double life, but you're not a kid, you're not in school. You're at work. You go to work and you have a completely different life at work than what you do at home and on Sunday mornings. Or maybe your entire family is all living this double life Monday through Saturday, we need to be taking every aspect of our life and putting that next to scripture. And 
and part of this and part of us putting our life in every aspect and submitting our lives to Christ is what's called a sanctification. Now, this is a big word, and I'm sorry I don't have it on the screen, but sanctification simply means the process of becoming more set apart. We want to be sanctified, set apart from the rest of the world. And we talk a lot about holiness and what does it look like to be one with Christ and one with God, and that's being set apart. And God's the one who sanctifies us. It's nothing that Hal can do or it's nothing any of you can do. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or being good enough. It's God who comes in you and since the moment he, the Holy Spirit, enters into you and transforms you and calls you into a relationship with Jesus that he starts to sanctify you and starts to grow you more and more to understand him, understand the scriptures and to grow into love with him. So when we think of putting every aspect of our lives next to scripture, don't think, don't think about it as legalism or you don't want to be a Pharisee, but that's biblical. You're being biblical when you're putting every single aspect of your life next to scripture. Is skipping church every single Sunday in the summer okay just because we live in Colorado and it's so beautiful? What about in the fall with hunting season? Or I mean, I don't want to step on any of the skiers or snowboarders' toes in here. But wintertime, it's got to be okay to miss church and not gather with the body of Christ to go hit the slopes, right? No. We are called to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to do that. We need to lean into Scripture and make Scripture our foundation in every aspect of our life. Not just Sundays, not just Saturday night as you're getting ready for Sunday, but no, Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday, every single day of the week, we want to submit every thought and action to scripture and give that to God. And once we are able to establish what it looks like to have scripture as our foundation in our own personal life, we then can teach others what that looks like to have in their own life. We can come alongside the younger generation, younger men and younger women, to practice that in their own lives. So that brings us to our next point. Okay? And in Titus 2, you may have seen this, but there's specific instruction to men and specific instruction to women. And I think this is exciting because we, when we're thinking about how should I as a man or how should... Uh, I as a woman, I mean, I'm not a woman, but how should you as women live your life for Christ instead of just trying to figure this out on our own? The one who created humankind, the one who created everything on earth is the author and he gave us specific instructions how men should live and how women should live. So we're not going to some Joe Schmo who wrote a good commentary on what it looks like for men to live or for women to live, but we are going to the one who created us here in Titus, the author of scripture, God, to see what instruction he gives to men and what instruction he gives to women. So let's go ahead, men. Okay, this next slide is only for the men to write down. Okay, older men are taught to lead by example and train up the younger men how to live a life where their heart is set on the Lord. Older men are taught to lead by example and train up the younger men how to live a life where their heart is set on the Lord. 
Christians are instructed to live a Christian life according to sound doctrine. And this is done by men modeling what it looks like to live a Christian life to the younger men. And men need to raise up the younger men in a way, um, in a way that uh, is pleasing the Lord. And it's not just a one-way street, okay? And we're not going to, I mean, we could point fingers, but we're not going to do that today. But there's someone in this room that is the oldest man in this room, okay? And there's also someone in here that's the youngest man in this room. So if you're not the oldest and you're not the youngest, uh, there's someone older than you and there's someone younger than you. So you need to be going and finding this, an older man that can come alongside you and pour into you what they've learned and what living the Christian life and their daily life looks like to you. And then you also need to look and find someone that's younger than you and be pouring into them. Discipleship isn't just a one-way street. It's a two-way street where you need someone pouring into you and you need to be pouring into someone else. Let's go ahead and look at scripture together, men, and what we're called to do. So we're called, there's instruction for men in verse two, and then we're gonna jump down to verses six through eight. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. One thing I like about the book of Titus is it's pretty self-explanatory. And when you look and you're wondering, what am I as a man called to do? Okay, so one... It's pretty clear in verse one that you're supposed to have scripture as your foundation. And then when you're looking for specific instruction on what you're to do as a man, it's pretty self-explanatory. You're supposed to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. It tells you. God's not trying to hide and be cryptic what kind of a life are, are we as men supposed to live, but he tells us Flat out, here's how you're supposed to live your life. But we're not just supposed to live it ourselves. We're also supposed to teach it. Verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. The word urge there is kind of like that first word teach. Okay, you're not just supposed to highly suggest it. You are supposed to impose on them and command them. You also need to live this way. We need to be pushing the younger men to live a life where they are self-controlled. Showing themselves to be a model of good works in your teaching and show them integrity and dignity and be sound in speech so that no one can condemn them and they may not be put to shame having nothing evil to say about them, us. You want, to come, you want to figure out what it looks like to live a life for Christ where your foundation is scripture and then you are commanded to then be teaching that to the younger generation and other men. And now I know, ladies, you thought you were off the hook. 
that I was only going to talk to the men here and tell them everything they need to do in their life. But ladies, okay, discipleship's not just for men and it's not just for ladies, okay? Ladies, I need all of you to write this down. Older women are taught to lead by example and train up the younger women how to live a life where their heart is set on the Lord. Now, if you've been following along, and the ladies, you may have written down what I told the men to write down, uh, but the men, hopefully you have what you wrote down, but what I told the men to write down and what I told the ladies to write down is actually the same thing. Okay, so the older men are taught to lead by example. Oops, sorry, I went the wrong way. And the older women are taught to lead by example. And train up the younger women how to live a life where their heart is set on the Lord. Both men and women are commanded to teach others and train up the younger generation on specifically what it looks like to live a life where your heart is set on the Lord. So ladies, let's look at what scripture has to say to us. Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And ladies, just as scripture is, and again, I want to remind you that this is coming not from someone who just thinks they know what women need to hear or thinks they know what's good and what's bad for women to hear, but this is coming from our creator. That God is the one who's calling the older women to be set apart, to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And I know often for men and women, it's easy for us to be like, well, I know it's saying men need to do that, but I don't really struggle with that. Or I'm a woman and it's saying I need to do this, but I don't need to struggle or I don't struggle with this. But scripture, it's coming from our creator. God knows what men struggle with and knows what women struggle with. And if you're a woman, you're saying, I don't struggle with that. Like I've watched Downton Abbey. I know that women struggle with slandering and talking about one another when the other person isn't there. It's all throughout that show. So we need to take what God is instructing us as men to do and us as women to do, and we need to live that in our life. Have scripture as our foundation. Live a life that God is calling us to live. And then the important part, and what's importantly shown in this passage, is we need to be then teaching the younger generation, what this looks like. I know for me in my life and for my marriage, there's things, and my wife and I, we share a lot with each other and we'll talk a lot, a lot about a lot of different things, but there's things where I need an older man coming alongside me and pouring into me. Just as there's things that my wife will struggle with and that she has going on that she needs an older woman, an older godly woman, just as I need an older, older godly man coming alongside her and Pouring into her and encouraging her in her walk with the Lord and in her to be a better wife. And just as an older man is coming alongside me, pointing me to be a better follower of Jesus Christ and also pushing me to be a better husband. 
And also it's important to know in this that when I say we need older men pouring into younger men and older women pouring into younger women, I'm not saying we need just people pouring into people. We need men pouring into men. Not men pouring into younger girls or not women pouring into younger men. We need men pouring into men and women pouring into women. And this is different. And this is hard and this is honestly countercultural. This pushes against what's going on in the rest of our world. I mean, we're living in a day and age where we are being told, doesn't matter who you are, God made a mistake. He made you to be the wrong person. You don't need to be a man. You can be whoever you want. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, genders don't really matter, but they do. We need, God has made each and every single one of us specifically who he intended you to be. I want all of us to be confident in who we are that God has made us to be. And even, he didn't just make you and know who you wanted to be, but he gave you specific instruction as a man or as a woman how you're supposed to live your life and what that looks like and what that looks like to be a follower of Christ on however he made you. So I want us to lean into our identity and who we are and more importantly, who we are in Christ. That we need scripture as our foundation in our life. And now we come to this point, why is it essential for us to really be discipling one another and coming alongside the younger men and younger women, be raising them up and who they are and to, for them to be confident in the relationship with God. And it comes really on multiple things. I want to move to my next point. Before I get there, I want to talk, it's back to sanctification. Because God has called us to be set apart. We're supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to live in the world, but not be of the world. We're supposed to be clearly set apart from those around us. And we need to be living a life for Christ. And that points us to the next two verses. Titus 2, 9 and 10. So I know, I hope not everyone nodded off when I split you up into guys and girls, but I want everyone to come back uh, and look at verses 9 and 10 with me again. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. These last two verses, it talks about bond servants, and some of your translations may translate that first word in verse 9 as slaves. Okay, and I want to point out that there's some significant differences from slavery in the first century to what we often think of in early American history. And one of the, and the biggest thing is that majority of the people living in the known world would have been considered slaves. Statistics show that upwards of 70 to even more than 80% of the population would have been considered a slave. Many people in the, in the early church would have been a part of the lower class that was considered slaves. And the Apostle Paul and this word is coming to them. And also what I want us to think when we see this is not think about, oh, slavery or bond servant. I don't know what that is. That doesn't apply to me. But it does. 
Because majority, majority of us in here are a part of the working class. And we have some person or one another that we report to. Whether we have a boss or whether we have 10 different bosses or whether we have a teacher, we still answer to someone. And these two verses are really teaching us to proclaim your faith where God has placed you. We need to proclaim our faith where God has placed you. So wherever that is, wherever you are, you want to be living your life for Christ where he has placed you. For most of us, that's working and uh, just working our every single day, every, our daily job, our day job, as most of us say. We need to be living a life for Christ. Are we being a good light for Christ? Are we being trained up? Are our actions representing that of a Christian? Which means that we shouldn't be defying our supervisor or taking money out of the cash register when no one's around or cheating on a test when our teacher isn't looking or disrespecting our boss or disrespecting our teacher. Are we proclaiming Christ every moment and where we are, wherever he has placed us? Whatever moment God has placed you in, are you living a life for Christ? We want our actions outside of this building, outside of Sundays, to represent our faith in Christ. Monday through Sunday, we want to be living our lives for Christ. And a lot of this, this comes through discipleship. This comes through having an older man or an older woman coming alongside you and pouring into you or you pouring into someone else and showing you what it looks like to live a life for Christ wherever he has placed you. And this doesn't just happen immediately. You're not going to leave here today and just all immediately start living a life where scripture is your foundation or you're not going to immediately find someone that you're pouring into and you are discipling them in their walk with God. It's going to take time. And I know it's hard finding someone and connecting with someone. And I know it's so easy for us to just stay in our little shell or with our family and we don't want to break out and meet new people. But we are, there's a greater bond with all of us than just outside of your family structures or just within everyone that comes here and that comes to Bentry Church. But what we share, what unifies us and ties us together, it's the blood of Christ. It's Christ's sacrificial death that his death, his blood is what paid the price for our sin. We don't need to take our sin and we're all sinners. We all lack the glory of God. But Jesus, he came down. He's the only son of God and he died on the cross for us. He was perfect. He was holy. He was already, he's the definition of sanctified. He was set apart from the rest of the world. He was sinless. And he died on the cross for our sins where his blood is what paid the price for our sins. That blood and that grace is what has saved us. And that's what unifies us more than anything else. Doesn't matter if you're family members or if you're really good friends or coworkers or you went to the same school school. Those don't matter. What matters is that the blood of Christ has paid for our sins and unifies us one another with each other. 
And when we, we think of discipleship, it's not just because it's the right thing to do or we need to teach men and women what it looks like to live a good life or just do the right thing, but it's because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and because of his blood that we are called to this higher purpose to be set apart, to be go through the process of sanctification, to live a life for Christ and to help the younger generation also live a life for Christ. This doesn't happen quickly. And now I want to bring us back to that picture that I painted for us at the beginning. With the family who came to church, sat on the second row, and dad up and left them. And I asked you guys, how would Bentry Church respond? And I think I know how our church would respond. But I'm not certain of that. But I, what I do know is I know for a fact how my church, First Baptist Carroll, responded. When my dad up and left our family, when he decided to leave, he didn't say goodbye to any of us. He just left a note on the counter. We came home and he was already hours away. He moved. He was completely out of the picture. My mom, my sisters, and myself, we were broken. We had physical needs that needed immediate help, but then we had even more pressing spiritual needs. We were struggling. We were hurting. We didn't know. Our everything we knew and about dad and us holding the family together was gone, broken and shattered. And our church, my church that I grew up in, they didn't turn a cold shoulder. They came around us. They came alongside my mom, encouraged her, helped her out with physical needs for our family. They were there for us emotionally. And most importantly, they were there to encourage us spiritually. And the guys that came alongside me, they didn't just come alongside when dad left. They were already there. They were building relationships with me. So when I was going to church throughout my high school years, before my dad had left, they were already establishing connections. Asking me, hey, how's cross country going? How's basketball? How's track? What job do you have this summer? How's hunting season? Have you gotten a deer yet? What's going on? Tell me about your life, Hal. They had already spent time establishing connections with me because they wanted to know. Older men in the church, not my youth pastor, he was there, he was pointing to me, but it's the older men, not youth leaders that didn't really have a reason to connect with me that were coming alongside me. And when dad up and left and I go to church and I'm hurting emotionally and spiritually, They come alongside me. They ask me, how's things going? How's basketball going? And then they ask me, hey, I know dad just left. How's everything? And they're there and they are asking me and helping me process and getting coffee with me or helping me rebuild a tractor. They're coming alongside me, having conversations with me and doing life on life together with me and pointing me towards Christ so that I can continue on, finish out school and go and really as I was struggling and trying to figure out, is God truly calling me into ministry? And they helped push me off and send me off and go to Bible college. They came alongside me. They didn't just leave it up to mom to figure out how to raise these kids by herself, or they didn't just leave it up to my mom to disciple us and leave the family to figure out how to raise their kids to know and love the Lord. They came alongside my family. 
to help push me and my, my siblings to know and love the Lord. And that's what we as the church are called to. When we say we want to help equip parents here at Bentry, we're not saying, hey, parents, you do everything because that makes my job way easier. No, we want to come alongside. We want to acknowledge parents as the primary disciples, but we need to come alongside parents and not just drop your kids off at church, but both and. Where we are coming together as the church and to raise up the next generation to know and love the Lord. There's statistics and uh, just from within the family ministry circles and uh, on students and them being raised up and when they're getting ready to graduate from high school and move out of the home and move and go into college that are saying that in order for them not to leave home and walk away from the church forever and never come back, that they need at least three adults in their life. Three Christian adults that are pouring into them and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. One of those is parent, pastor, and then a church member. Someone else from the church needs to be coming alongside our students here at Bentry and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord and helping families encourage their kids so that when they leave, when they move away, when they go to college, when they move out of their parents' house, they will stay true and they will continue on in the faith. And instead this baton, instead of just falling down, it will be passed on to the next generation. We as the church, we as Bent Tree Church are called to come alongside families and raise up the younger generations to know and love the Lord. Coming full circle, it takes a church to make a disciple. And when every member is equipped to minister to, with, and through families, God will bring transformation to the church and the home. So today, I want to challenge each and every single one of you to find someone, an older man or an older woman, and find that other person and find someone that can be pouring into you. And then I want you to look at your own life and find someone that you can pour into. Discipleship is a two-way street. You want to find someone that's pouring into you and you want to be pouring into someone else. But also, it's not just on the older person to go and find someone that they want to disciple. Younger people, younger men, younger women, you need to also go and think of who is someone who's a Christian person at my church that can encourage me in my walk with the Lord. And you want to go find them, ask them to disciple you. And remember, discipleship takes time. It takes relationship building. It doesn't just happen overnight. Doesn't just happen after one conversation. You need to build a solid foundation. Get to know someone. Get to relationally know someone. And then at some point in this relationship with someone, you're going to have to make the big step and ask them, how's their walk with God going? I know so many of us, we have so many friends. We have older people pouring into us. We have younger people pouring into us. But we're all so hesitant to make that big step and talk about deep spiritual things. But we need to go there. We need to find someone that can pour into us, that's willing to sit down, get to know us, and have spiritual conversations with us. 
It takes a church to make a disciple. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and uh, the work you're doing on each and every single one of our hearts, Lord. I pray that you will help all of us to find someone that is, can come alongside of us and encourage us. I know it's hard. I know it's easy for us just to stay in, stay into the paths that we know and are easy for us, but help us to give us courage to be bold, to take that next step and to go find someone that can encourage us in our relationship with you. I want us not to let anything get in our way and pray, Lord, that you'll remind us that it's your blood that breaks down all barriers. It's your blood, Lord, that has brought us into a relationship with you. I pray that we'll remember you, Lord, and the blood and that you will just prepare our hearts to have relationships with each other and to find someone so that we can follow your command for each and every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit bentreechurch.com.